0: Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Sayasit Public Library. Hello everyone and welcome to Turn the Page. I am one of your hosts today, Jen, and I am joined by my colleague. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hey, I'm Jessica. Nice to uh, be here.
0: And we are joined today by uh, a friend of the show, meaning that he has been here once before. (laughs) And we are here to discuss another of his works. So could I ask you to introduce yourself and the book that you're here to discuss today, please?
2: Absolutely. I am Zachary Rosenberg. I am the author of The Long Shalom, which is my Jewish noir cosmic horror novel novella. And it is set in 1920s New York in like the most hard-boiled era of all where a Jewish detective um, is basically approached by his old flame to investigate the disappearances going on in New York of people who went to the bottom of that with a lot of horror. Mm.
0: I love the genre blending here. There's like just so much fun stuff going on. Um, So yeah, so we talked to you in May about another sort of like weird horror inflected genre piece uh that we were just talking about before we started recording. Um uh so let's talk about like, you know, shifting that genre focus. Like how is doing a weird noir different from doing a weird Western?
2: You know, um interesting you asked, there's kind of a similar basis of it because they're both kind of like very much the throwbacks of the two-fisted pulp tales in a sense. Um but really it's a kind of a different voice you have to find because the Western um, kind of draws from a much different place. A Western, in my opinion, is much more focused on kind of the environment while noir is more focused on the situations in a sense. Um, It required finding a different voice, especially because um, the hero of the book, Alan is, I would say a much different character from Esther and Siobhan. Um, So it's, I'm not, I, I usually find it very easy to get into a character's head and kind of switch from person to person when I know who I am dealing with. But, um, you know, there would be times when I was like writing some of Hungers and I would uh, bounce and, um, or I was writing Long Shalom after I was writing Hungers and it was very, uh, it was kind of a lot of fun to get into Alan's head, especially um, because I love noir stuff. I grew up on film noir. I grew up um, on stuff like The Maltese Falcon and um mm-hmm. The long goodbye, and all, and you know, Raymond Chandler and uh, what's his name, Dashiell Hammett. So that was all stuff I loved, and it was all very easy that really helped me to kind of find that voice, so to speak.
1: So, you mentioned something uh, that I kind of just wanted to first of all um, jump in on. So, the book is called The Long Shalom, which is um, yeah. a bit of a um, I don't know if Pun is the right word, but it kind of is. It's a play on a very sort of famous noir uh, story. Um, I don't I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about, about that um, and okay. sort of how you brought that to the long goodbye to the long shalom.
2: You know, um, the whole long shalom thing, that was uh, that, you know, um, I kind of came up with that on a lark and I kind of ran that by some friends. I was originally had the title of like skirts and speakeasies. But then when I was like, or I could call it the long shalom and they were like, yeah, yeah, you, you absolutely should call it the long shalom. <laughs> so I, I, the long shalom it is. So we ended up, um, you know, like after it was workshopped, um, I, like I said, I love um, Raymond Chandler stuff. I love, you know, The Long Goodbye, uh, The Big Sleep and The Long Goodbye. I first saw when it was, you know, the movie with um, Elliot Gould, which is which is also kind of like a noir that kind of flips the genre on its head a little, which is, you know, it's kind of the anti-noir, like the hard-boiled hero is very sloppy and messy and kind of a loser in a sense. Um, but you know, so I read when I read the long goodbye by me Chandler, um, I've read a lot of Chandler's works. Um, something that really stuck out to me was, um, no shade to him. Chandler was very anti-Semitic. Um, his, his views on Jews were very not positive. His portrayals of them when they actually appeared are very bad. And it was kind of the idea of like, why don't I take that and kind of like reclaim noir in that sense? Like, why don't I make this a fundamentally unapologetically Jewish, uh, noir story?
0: I love that so much. And it really like, it dovetails really nicely, I think with what you are doing with hungers as well, you know, because like in the seventies as well, like, you know, revisionist Westerns were a huge thing and like, you got different sorts of Westerns than you did in the previous generation. Um, And with noir, like I really see that movie as being almost a revisionist noir a little bit too, because it does like de-romanticize it a little bit, you know? Um, And in a way, like, since you also, like, incorporate, like, the weird uh, horror elements, there's, like, a little bit of, like, decolonizing of, like, the Lovecraftian influences, too. Is that something that you're kind of aware of, or?
2: You know, um, Lovecraft was not really foremost on my mind when I was doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, like, you know, I, I've done kind of Jewish cosmic horror with Lovecraft more in mind, but honestly, this was more, um, I would say, my, my more direct um, influence for when it came to cosmic horror, would be someone like uh, Haley Piper or someone like Laird Baron who has, uh, Laird Baron is much more of a sense of malevolent forces out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: really the, um, probably one of the biggest ones I would say was, was a huge um, inspiration on me was Laird Baron's The Croning. So um, I definitely Lovecraft is kind of always is in a lot of senses always there when you're talking about um, cosmic horror cause he's seen, you know, rightfully or wrongfully as you know, an inescapable part of the genre. Um, but kind of one interesting thing was always to me when it came to like the old pulp stuff, like Robert E. Howard was not really a noir writer in a sense. Most of his stuff was adventure, but it's very much in the sense of confronting the monsters, you know, head on Whereas in Larry Barron's works. Um, it's kind of very hard to fight them. They're creatures that are just incomprehensibly malevolent, but and also incomprehensibly powerful. You can't really stop. So kind of my sense was kind of like taking that, but also making it so the heroes are able to fight it, even if you like, you know, you know, have to contrive ways for them to do so. But it's kind of like um, the very sense of being Jewish is, in my opinion, endurance. Um, it is endurance, uh, lasting, it is overcoming. And that's something that I think I just kind of carried into the cosmic horror element.
1: You know, I think um, I, I had read that you are a fan of the book Ring Shout and that there was some... Um... Influence there as well.
2: Very, very much. Uh, P. Jelly Clark is an author who I really, really admire. I've read um, Ring shout. His Dead Gin in Cairo. Um, he was definitely an- another one that was really on my mind. Like the idea of taking um, cosmic horrors the Land of American racism was something I really, really appreciated. Ring shout. It was something that really ends up sticking with me. Where instead, where um, you know, I wouldn't ever want to uh, speak for the um, You know, the black experience in America, but I kind of wanted to try to like try to take that in through like the Jewish experience in, you know, um, and how far back that history can go. Even outside America, Um, Alan is someone who I think would consider himself very proudly American, even if he acknowledges the flaws of America. So that was something I had a lot of fun playing with
1: that is by far one of my absolute favorite books. And I think um, there, you know, there was definitely, I can see like, you know, just influence in general. And um, it's, it's super exciting. I think to see, you know, like books like the long Shalom and books like ring shout that are sort of um, claiming cosmic horror for, for lack of a better phrase, like, you know, Mm-hmm. marginalized communities that cosmic horror kind of I don't want to say targeted but you know I mean the the, the folks who um who as you said you know like some <laughs> a lot of those folks were super problematic um and uh I think you know um especially you know like in general I think um when people talk about wanting. To see themselves in media they enjoy, I think that we do kind of have this wonderful canvas for new voices to bring things like cosmic horror to people who might be like, yeah, I like cosmic horror, but also, you know, I'm not particularly comfortable with where I fit into
2: it. Right. Um, And I think it's, you know, it's kind of a sign of prevalent social attitudes changing. I think. you know i'm i'm certainly not a fan of like any of lovecraft's you know personal views but i think that one way people err is trying to portray him as some kind of anomaly or some kind of unique monster instead of as a product of a very bigoted and, you know, anti-Semitic and racist society because those views were of his were shared by many in his circle um, by Robert E. Howard shared some of them, uh, Clark Ashton Smith and Frank. B- mm-hmm. um, but like, you know, also in his circle was a guy um, was Henry Kuttner, who was a horror and science fiction fantasy writer who was deeply involved in the Jewish speculative fiction community. And Lovecraft actually introduced him to his wife, C.L. Moore, and it was very interesting to me that Seal Moore would frequently write and challenge his views, and even got him to admit that he had been uh, ignorant at points, although he was still sending her like vilely racist screeds and arguments, you know, to months before he died. Um, and it's really, in my opinion, it's not really so much one in, one or two individuals of, you know, even of levels of badness. It's a level of also societal attitudes of what level of publishing of allowing people to tell their viewpoints and their stories and what, and what sense that even when there are barriers, how people are pushing back on them and fight and fighting back and trying to tell their stories. Um, and I think you can do that in many different ways. Um, there's some authors right now who I really admire who are telling, um, everything from, you know, from Asian horror to African horror, um, there are other writers who are telling Jewish horror. Um, there was one author I read recently, uh, Toby Ogunderen, who um, wrote a really, really fantastic Nigerian uh, cosmic horror story called The Goatkeeper's Harvest, which I recommend everyone check out that really just blew me away. And there's just so, and there's a lot that he's written by that. And um, when I try to write like Jewish cosmic horror, like I, I'm not always aiming for the, uh, the sense of the long shalom where it's affirming. And you know, um, I have one coming out right now in uh Catholic Matter Quarterly that should be out, I think, next month, which is um, I'm really proud of. it It's called A Righteous Man, where it's a cosmic horror based upon the legend of the 36 righteous people in Judaism, where it's like these are 36 people who justify the existence of the world by just being good people. And like, let's take that. Let's let's see how we can make it like cosmic horror, like what forces you to be righteous, who is the one who might like ensure the uh, salvation of the world for that. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm really, really satisfied with, um, I, I, really think that there are differences with, you know, how society is changing and what we're, and the stories that we are absolutely allowed to tell now. And I think that is a sign of immense progress. I, I, I don't think we're anywhere close to where we should be, but I believe it's getting better. I believe that more people are telling the stories. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um,
0: I would love to ask a question about this sort of like intersections of, um, noir and horror that we kind of see here, because I'm curious about like, what sort of like writing situations that created for you? Um, You know, so I think one of the reasons it works so well is because even when stuff gets real weird, <laughs> the main characters remain very grounded, and their relationship dynamics feel very grounded, too. And I'm wondering how that sort of manifested in dialogue for you, you know, because when you're writing noir, there is like a certain voice, you know, that like you're inhabiting. And how do you work like with the strong genre voice like that, while also creating like real characters and relationships. Does that like make sense?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know what, it's always a matter of kind of keeping to the characters heads and having them be true to themselves. Mm-hmm. And also kind of creating characters who are going to be able to handle these situations. Um, you know, people who are jaded people like, you know, in, with noir, I think that you need a level of jadedness in the writing and noir needs to unfold in a certain manner. And it's so close to horror. Because part of the beauty of Noir is the main character cannot know everything at the start. They have to figure it out. And horror is very much dependent on the unknown in a sense. Like horror has to uh, slowly, un- you know, not, not slowly, but it needs to unfold. There needs to be thoughts. There need to be discoveries. There needs to be a great deal that you know is figured out along the way. And noir is very often about unraveling that mystery or feel it or seeing that downfall in a sense. There needs to be um something like that. But in noir, it's entirely possible to also have it tied with triumphs. Um like the Maltese Falcon is one of my favorite stories of all time um that's one that i'm very very attached to that's something i really like and you have that idea of the unknown is like you know this whole thing starts with uh, sam spade be basically being roped along to the hunt for the maltese falcon um and we kind of uncover the mystery with sam spade so i kind of wanted to recreate something like that with alan where alan is plunged into it not knowing um not knowing like what he perhaps should to get into this but he but we are discovering the mystery alongside him. And Sam Spade is some Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe are characters who essentially not only do they um learn this, they refuse to kind of break before corruption and uh, conspiracy. So I kind of had the same idea with Alan, is you know, he doesn't break before the heart, he fights back. And it's you know, it's very much a um noir can end in, you know, trying for tragedy. There's definitely um somewhere it does not end happily and you know the characters can end up very broken just like in horror but when you introduce that element of mystery i think you're kind of putting those genres together for better or worse and it works out and i think it works out very well Mm -hmm.
1: yeah for sure i definitely um Agree. And like, it's just so much fun. I have to just sort of throw this in there. It's so much fun to just listen to you talk about all of these things and get excited about all of these things. (laughs) Thank you so much.
0: So not to keep drawing connections between hungers and this one, but I'm very interested in in a lot of like the overlap of your like concerns and themes and stuff like that. Um, I feel like that one is also one that is like pretty concerned about like what it means to be American, like and also like rooted in a very particular time. Right. Because I think that both are very specific about the periods that they take place in. Um, And something else that they both do really well is. you know, depicting what life was like for people of other marginalized communities too. I'm going to take a hard uh, a hard turn with this question because I just remembered I had this question as well. But can you talk a little bit about the characters who are going on this sort of like mysterious adventure with Alan, like particularly Lenoir, because she's so wonderful.
2: <laughs> Lenore has been like, she's been very well received and I am really very happy about that because Lenoir was a character I tried to write um, very carefully because hey you know she's an she's a proud trans woman in 19 the 1920s um there was um i honestly I, when i was kind of researching it there were you know like there were elements of lgbt communities um but even back that far and it was really only after the uh great like the roaring 20s has led to like things being a little more open there was more term of expression it was like certainly nowhere near um a modern day you know 21st century um you know Liberal community, but like, but there was definitely some of it, and there wasn't any need for me to feel like you know portray main characters who would be bigoted in that front because you know hey it's my playground I'll do what I want and you know like why like why can't I have forward thinking characters like that and Lenore is um I remember my editor basically saying he was like um you know I think my trans friends are gonna love Lenore I think she's great um and I was very I was really honestly really, really relieved and happy to see how she's been received, because it's like, you know, you don't need a character who is, in my opinion, um, it's not really my story to tell of as her struggling gender identity or transition, but, you know, I can write her as a trans character who is also just a complete freaking badass, who likes to, you know, her way out of things is to shoot them. Um, she's confident, she's confident, she has no doubt in herself, and There is, and I I think it's important that, you know, we're writing characters like that, even in times when, like, you know, people will complain that, quote unquote, they would not have existed. And, you know, like, and I personally don't, I don't think that's true at all. And I, you know, um, I believe we do need those strong depictions, even through historical, um, even through historical perspectives, um, you know strong, brave uh, Jewish and Black and trans people have existed for thousands of years. It's just a matter of, you know, like if if like, you know, it's just a matter of telling those stories the way they need to be told.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. And it's really interesting to see how, you know, their their different experiences bring them together, because there are some similarities in how they have been treated by society, but they also bring very unique like viewpoints that right. I, like interact with in very interesting ways, you know.
2: <laughs> very, very much so, and I really, I really did enjoy the camaraderie between them. That was probably one of my favorite parts of the book of writing the book. Mm-hmm. It's people who trust one another. It's you know, um, and also like you know, some, like um, I kind of pointed this out. Like even the uh, the cosmic horrors don't misgender Lenore, and <laughs> you know, like it's it's like it's also because like for one thing, you know, why would they? You know, for one thing, it's kind of like. What reason would, you know, they might be pure evil, but why would they care about someone's gender identity? You're just, you know, you, you know, that you just are who you are. Like, there's no reason a creature from beyond space and time is going to see her as anything different. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about um, just writing dialogue. Like, how how do you kind of keep that going? Do you, you know, obviously noir has like a very particular... um, yeah, flavor of dialogue uh did you sort of hear these characters talking in your head did you sort of um you know watch a lot of noir movies or just sort or read or just is this just sort of how like your um your your mind castle works <laughs> people talking um uh dialogue just sort of pops into your head
2: the dialogue just kind of like pops into my head a little um like you, you will notice the difference between like uh the dialect here and hungers a little like you know once again it's kind of transferring that sort of um it's transferring that sort of you know like the different between different genres but really it was really just imagining alan talking like humphrey bogart sometimes just like you know with a strong accent and the dialogue just really flowed from there like whenever i just imagined like you know um i kind of assigned someone a different voice and it was just really off to the races with that front but the dialogue was something I just had up the last with um some of it just kind of like flowed very very easily when I had the idea of what I was writing just like the back and forth and like the uh some of some of like you know what I hope were uh, clever lines and uh and uh exchanges between one another those that that was probably some of the most fun I had
0: in particular I think like in your action scenes you know um like they're very impressive in terms of like, you know, the, I, I I call it choreography, but I don't know if that's the right term, but the, the, the physical moving through space and that, like, that sort of, you know, the zippy one liners and the sort of like the cool things people say to each other while they're, (laughs) while they're fighting, you know, like, and that it does like, it sounds fun and it it must be a lot of fun to write.
2: (laughs) Oh, it totally is. Especially, (laughs) especially on the, I think, I think my favorite line that, uh, was Al? I'm getting real tired of people not knowing what me shooting them means.
1: <laughs> Would you kind of revisit these characters ever?
2: That is 100 percent on my list. Uh, I've got like a really long list of like stuff I've got to write, but I have I do have an outline of something I want to do for like the Long Shalom too, which will have like a different title. Um, the I long, do have the longer ideas. Shalom. <laughs> of course, like like simple <laughs> But uh but no, I definitely have ideas for that that I'm really like excited about. Like I have some ideas of where I want to take the story. Um, I have some ideas of like characters I want to introduce. Like there's one character who I've not really so much a character, but like, you know, a real person is Arnold is Arnold Rothstein, who is a historical villain I am very fascinated with just because of like um, you know, the Jewish criminal mastermind is like, you know, writ writ large essentially with who is just a, who I've, you know, introduced in the background for this book. And I really have ideas of where I want to take the character and his, and you know, like his relationship with Alan um, that I'm just, re- that I'm really, that I'm honestly really excited to write. Um, more with the cosmology, more with Alan's uh, character evolving, more of how that goes, more of how that goes. I am, th- th- there, there, there's a lot that um, I want to do with it. Like, I, I think I can easily get like another two, maybe three books in there.
0: Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah, I'm particularly interested in this next one, because um, I remember being like really sort of blown away and fascinated by um, Arnold Rothstein as a figure when I was watching Boardwalk Empire, because it was like, I mean, the writing on that yeah. show was great. And it was like a really fascinating performance from Michael Stuhlbarg, too. So yes, please yeah. can talk about that one. I know, you know, I don't want to like keep you hostage to our show constantly. But if you want to come oh, back no,
1: no, no. <laughs> and talk about that one,
2: too. <laughs> We,
1: I, I will one hundred. I will one hundred percent keep you hostage. This show. I'm, I'm oh, cool.
2: I, I am. not i <laughs> um, Michael, St- you know, it's funny you mentioned Michael Stuhlbarger, he did so much research for Arnold Rothstein that the writers would actually consult him for how Arnold Rothstein might have reacted to a situation.
0: Wow, that is amazing. That is like I, I really appreciate like um just a. Real intense research, you know. I think that is like one of the overarching thing, uh, <laughs> the, the themes here and in like, uh, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I just I, intensity. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I really, I really have a vision for how I want things to go with Rothstein. Um, I, you know, I want to get into like, you know, there's a lot of, there's some mystery with Rothstein, um, in real life, but like, you know, just a. Really fascinatingly evil human being in real life. Um, his brother was a rabbi. Even that you know he had really no reason. He had a very comfortable living. He had really had no reason to turn to a life of crime, but he did, and he was very good at it. Um, he's really a figure that I you know I, I want to explore more in in writing um, and in this book, and just kind of portray like you know this kind of this changing era in a sense, like the Great Depression's almost hitting. Um, there's more, you know, like New York is still unequal. Um, there, there's a lot of very interesting stuff that I really, I really want to tackle there. And Rothstein is definitely uh, going to be a very major figure in the next book. Um, there, there's always one bit in Boardwalk Empire that sticks with me, is when they let Rothstein also be kind of a little more um, vulnerable. There's that bit where he loses a gambling match because he's genuinely a gambling addict, and the and the man he's uh, he's facing is kind of treating him like with anti-Semitic slurs, you know, misstating his last name. And it's like for a moment, like I end up feeling like, am I like feeling bad for this guy? Like is this like a moment where this show is like ring pity out of me for Arnold Rothstein? And like all Rothstein can do, because you know he's lost he's lost fairly, is he can only like reassert what his actual name is before he like he shuffles off. And at the moment of incredible vulnerability that Stuhlbard brings in the writing bring, um, that is like I'm not sure I could ever recapture something like that but it's it's something that like really stuck with me um when I was when when I was watching Boardwalk Empire which is a show I absolutely adore.
1: Mm, Gosh
0: I I mean it's a very interesting interaction of like sort of individual personality traits and then sort of like the systemic forces around them that are still going to kind of put them in their place you know like that's very poignant yeah
2: (laughs) right right it's like this weird moment of you know like I said sympathy for a character who is usually not worth that sympathy for someone who is like Brofsky is almost sociopathically indifferent to the lives of others around him um he is just a very ruthless and you know occasionally cruel figure like all he cares about is you know the drug business and bootlegging and money and it's like you know he like i'm basically like i have no like this character has no right to make me feel the sympathy for him because he's being someone who's being anti-semitic to him but the performance and the writing are so powerful that that's exactly what happens
1: uh could you uh what would you recommend people read if they enjoyed the long shalom. If you want to um, talk about some of uh, your um, fellow writers who you think are also doing uh, good things that you enjoy, Ooh,
2: so bad at recall. Um, Haley Piper's No Gods for Drowning is one of the best uh, things I read in in, in recent times. Uh, Haley, uh, it's like a dark cosmic horror, dark fantasy. More, um, I really recommend Sina Paleo's Amazing Children of Chicago. Gabino um The Devil Takes You Home, which just won the Bram Stoker Award, and I love Gabino. He's amazing. Um, I'm trying to think. There's there's so many good indie books coming out right now that um, I am really... Ooh, uh, Trevor Henderson's Airwaves is one I just
1: finished. Which is really,
2: really good. Um, I read a bunch of short fiction, so... Ooh. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm very bad with recall at this, so... If I looked at my Kindle, like I I would find like oh yes, no this person definitely this person. Um, I I also like I was mentioning uh Tobia the uh, Jackal Jackal, which uh, just came out, um, which is terrific. Uh, Patrick Barbs, um, pre-approved for haunting is great. Um, yeah, there's there's there, there's a lot there's a there's a lot of great stuff coming out like all throughout horror and indie horror.
0: Yeah, we're sort of like uh, spoiled for choices. I think at this particular moment, it's a very good time for horror.
2: Yes, it is. <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for joining us. This has been absolutely lovely. And you know, again, you're always welcome back to talk about whatever whatever you bring to the world next. We're very excited to see.
2: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jen. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to having the sequel for Hungers. I'm going to try to finish it by the end of the year. I might not succeed, but I'm going to do I'm going to do my best. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Well, good luck. All right. And readers, uh, listeners who will be readers someday.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Go and check out The Long Shalom. You will not regret it. It is like an an absolutely fascinating genre piece and it is a a hell of a lot of fun. You won't regret it. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. This has been Jen and my colleague, Jessica. And it is now time to close this chapter.
1: It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.